Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin and how did they end? Let's find out on episode 33, Semiramis, Queen of the Universe. Previously on The Fan of History, Shamshi Adad V won the Civil War in Assyria after paying dearly for Babylonian support. Well, Dan, we know what happens when you try to cash in old favors and you just don't have the clout that you used to. What are we going to find out this week? Well, before we're going to find out anything, I have to mention that we do have some reviews. I've been asking you for uh, reviews on iTunes, and I'm still asking for that because iTunes reviews are great. So go to iTunes and review us. But we got reviews on Stitcher. Stitcher? Yeah, Stitcher is uh, another podcast service. I think they just uh, download stuff from iTunes and put it up. Yeah. We're there, and we have like uh, over 100 subscribers on this service that we have not been providing ourselves. Wow. But that's great. That is great. And we have two five-star reviews. The what? first is from yeah, the first is from Nathan eighty-eight, who says, "Great show about the little-known period in history before the Romans and the Greeks." All right, thanks, Nate eighty-eight. And then we have Bubba Hotep, who says, "Informative and amusing. Their enthusiasm makes the content have more impact." Yay! All right. That's fantastic. So if you feel like you, you don't want to review us on iTunes, you can always do it on Stitcher, apparently. Okay, back to this time period. We have... Uh, well, we, we are trying to do a chronological narrative here, and we are in the year 814 BC, with Shamshadad V as the king of the Neo-Syrian Empire. Mm-hmm. Assyria, the strongest state in the Near East, and we're trying to recover from this civil war. Uh, Shamshadad V is the fifth king of the empire, and all the vassal states who have been pl- uh, paying tribute, they stopped doing that during the civil war, and now they have to be brought into back into the fold. Need to be Shams- shown 
<laughs> what they should be doing. Yes, they have to get a bit of a good old Ashur Nasirpal beating to <laughs> get back in line. Shamshi Adad V has a wife that this episode is about, pretty much. She is known as Semiramis, and we'll talk more about her later. Uh, uh, Babylon has king, Marduk Balasu Ipki. Yeah, these names, they are amazing. Marduk Balasu Ipki <laughs> is quite old, probably, at this point. Because we have a record of him being a witness to a legal document 25 years before he ascended the throne. Wow. There are a lot of hereditary noble positions in Babylon, weakening royal authority. And this guy is then the brother of Semiramis, so he's the brother-in-law of the Assyrian king. That should be good for a peaceful relationship between the two Mesopotamian powers. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Are you sure about that? <laughs> Seems... Yeah, it worked for a while, didn't okay. it? Yeah, I guess so. Back in the days of Shalmaneser and Ashurnasipal. Uh, there is also a son. Shamshadav V has a son with the Semiramis uh, who is called Adad Mirari. This is an old uh, king's name in Syria. This, uh, so, Semiramis, whose real name is Shamuramat, Shamumarat. She is then the daughter of the Babylonian king, uh, the daughter of the last Babylonian king, Maru Sakishumi. Mm -hmm. And now we have to talk about Semiramis, because this is a name that comes down to us everywhere. So why is this woman so important? After the Assyrian Empire ends in 612 BC, everything, the lore, the, the knowledge of the Assyrian Empire evaporates so quickly, and it never really reaches the Roman and Greek world. Okay. So Ashurbanipal, who we will spend many an episode on, he is the only Assyrian king, really, that uh, the Greeks know by name. So they don't know what has happened, really. So they, they invent stuff. They make history by making stuff up. <laughs> and they hear this name, Semiramis, and they attribute most things to her. But we will talk about wow. all the things that this queen is supposed to have done. <laughs> so, that, so they come up with these crazy things that have happened in this storied empire. And they're like, who did it? Mm, Semiramis. Why not? Yes, and then they came up with a lot of things that never happened as well, and they attribute those to her as well. Wow. So, we are now going into legendary material. I tried to avoid legendary material, but this was just too good to avoid. <laughs> There's even an Assyrian king's list that is entirely wrong. And before the archaeologist stuff of the 19th century, we thought that this was the true Assyrian king's list. So she has an imaginary husband and imaginary sons. And wow. they are all on this king's list. Who, who made the king's list? Someone later than the fall of the empire. Oh, wow, okay. 
because they have this enormous king's list, but uh, sure. that one didn't spread. The false one spread. <laughs> uh, have you heard of the Darius inscription at Betishtun? Beshitun? The one that led to the uh, transforma- the translation of uh, Mesopotamian, of Sumeric. I've heard of that city, so I, this has got to be in what it was in reference to. It's an enormous inscription in three languages that uh, English archaeologists were climbing to in secret in the 19th century and trying to understand the Persian language. Gotcha. And the other languages there. So this was, of course, made by Semiramis. It's been there since the days of uh, Xerxes. Oh, Darius, I mean. Darius, okay. So, uh, yeah, when people thought, oh, of course, that was Semiramis who wrote that. So here is the legendary story of Queen Semiramis. She married this King Ninus of Assyria, who was not Shamshadad the fifth then. <laughs> and she was the mother of Ninjas, the king of Assyria, oh, who, wow. was, who was not Adad Nirari the <laughs> third. When her son died, this Ninjas character, she pretended to be him. And ruled Assyria for 42 years. <laughs> Between the years of 2140 <laughs> to 2072 BC. That's amazing. She heard that Armenia, which was definitely not around in the year 2000 BC. Right. Had, they had a beautiful king called Ara the Beautiful. She invaded Armenia and raped the guy. Wow. And while she was there, she founded Urartu and built the city of Van. <laughs> she is a time traveler. This is, a, this is astounding. This legend might come from uh, the invasion of Shalmaneser III. Because I could see how Shalmaneser could be mutated into Semiramis. Yeah, okay. Some, some similar letters and vowel sounds. I wonder what made her make all these decisions, but then, she, um, or at some point, she invented the chastity the belt. Why? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. But she also invented castration. Oh boy. She somehow was a goddess. Yeah, Same. because she was the daughter of the fish goddess Derketo of Ascalon. Time-traveling fish goddess. I love it. <laughs> yes, and if you read the Divine Comedy by Dante, this amazing work of the medieval period, yes, you can find Semiramis. She is in the second circle of hell. <laughs> amazing. And then, of course, if you, need, if you write fiction, even today, and you need a mysterious Eastern queen, just name her Semiramis, because that's what people do. You may as well. Everybody else has attributed everything to her. And this name, Semiramis or Shamuramat, is uh, still a name for female children in Assyria today. Really? The Romans have a pretty unclear boundary between Semiramis and Isis, the goddess. Right, okay. I uh, read uh, some point where Julius Caesar references Semiramis. I think it is in the context of that he's saying that uh, women can actually do great things. Just look at Semiramis. <laughs> hmm. 
Well, maybe it did some good. All these crazy stories. Yeah, she's not done yet. Uh-oh. Was, uh, Even more. When, yeah, after she then uh, pretended to be her son and ruled Assyria. Sure. She conquered all of Egypt. Conquered Egypt. Yes. Amazing. And that probably references the great invasion of Esarhaddon that we will talk about later. Oh. Somehow she found the time to found the city of Babylon. <laughs> wow. Okay. And then she decided to invade India. But the people in India had elephants, so she had to make elephants. So she invaded India with fake elephants. <laughs> she just so they they and just worked. built them. Yes, Ro- robot elephants. Okay, <laughs> maybe they were just scary, so the real elephants ran away or something. <laughs> it's time traveling fish goddess who makes r- robo elephants. It's beautiful. So this makes you wonder who was the real woman, Shamuramat, that. Yeah. Gave reasons for people to make these legends. And there, there is a very common fact cited about the wife of Shamshadad V. That she ruled Assyria after his death during the minority of her son. And you mm-hmm. can find this everywhere when you read about the Assyrian Empire. And that this was the reason why she, she created such legends. She was actually a woman that ruled the Assyrian Empire. Okay. But it's wrong. No really? one ever did. Because her son was not in his minority. And uh, he, he picked up the rule immediately. It's the current idea at least. So this has been... Uh, I, I'm sure there are people that still think that she did rule. But she is an exceptional, powerful Assyrian woman. Because she puts up Stelis uh, by herself. Wow. city of Asher, in the, the very heart of the Assyrian Empire. And she's also confirmed in other materials. She, she must have been quite influential. And this daily is what... Uh, the language is, of course, very very bombastic. So if you read it, you, you <laughs> might get the impression that she rules the empire. Gotcha. But uh, the Assyrians are... Uh, they are a bit better than other people when it comes to treating women, but they are. This is the ancient world. People are pretty bad at treating women. Right. And if you want to be a woman in the ninth century BC, you should be it in Sparta, and that's what we are going to talk about in our upcoming episodes. But Sparta is definitely the best place to be a woman in the ancient world. We'll dedicate a whole episode to being a woman in Sparta very soon. I think in three episodes. Oh, wow. Sounds cool. So Cambridge Ancient History summarizes the real woman, Shemuramat, saying that she's a woman with presence, an aura, an almost superhuman quality to make this kind of impression on history. So what do the Assyrians really do in the year 814 BC? Well, Shamshadad... Yes. <laughs> takes out his anger immediately. The first thing he does mm-hmm. in 814 BC is to invade Babylonia. All right. So he hasn't forgotten the harsh terms and 
he doesn't want a new treaty. He just wants to beat Babylonia up because of what they did to him. Sure. Who wouldn't? <laughs> he invades in the east uh, that is close to the mountains of Iran and he captures several minor cities. Okay. And the poor uh, Babylonian king who was didn't know that his brother-in-law would do this, <laughs> he, f- he forms an alliance to fight the Assyrians. And he gets the the Babylonian people themselves, the, uh, the Chaldeans sure. and the Kassites of Namri, the Arameans, and then Elam. Elam? Elam comes out of the woodwork. I was going to say, we haven't. It's been forever since we talked about them. Yeah, episode three, I think. Oh my gosh. This is a very ancient kingdom, probably older than both Babylonia and Assyria, that is located in southern Iran. And they have now decided to act and stop Assyria. They're not going to take their crap anymore. There are actually claims that Elam is the most ancient kingdom. But it's older than Egypt. Wow. And it might have been the oldest civilization in the world, but this is hotly contested. Uh, There is a unique language in Elam, so it isn't related to anything else. Which makes study of Elam very difficult. And very little is known of this Neo-Elamite 1 period, that's 1100 to 770 BC. Because in 770 BC, the Assyrians will make sure that we know more about Elam by being violent to Elam. (laughs) At some points, Elam was matriarchal, that it was ruled by women. Okay. And from this very point in history, Elam will be a constant ally for anyone who wants to fight Assyria. And it's a bit unclear to me why Elam hates Assyria so much. But they probably see the growing power of this empire and they decided to stop it early. Because Elam has their own problems. They are threatened by mountain tribes in the north, that is straight to the east from Assyria. Uh, such famous mountain tribes as the Medes and the Persians. I was about to say, these mountain tribes seem to be afflicting lots of great nations. Yes. And there's a very delicate balance of power in Iran, in in the borderland borderland between the mountains and the southern plains. Mm -hmm. So if you do something drastic to Elam, these mountain tribes are then unchecked. So here we can find one of the very core reasons for the fall of the Assyrian Empire. So you can't kill off Elam without addressing this question, which is exactly what will happen in the 7th century. But now Assyria faces these allies at the Battle of Durpapsukai in 840 BC. I'm glad you have to say these words. <laughs> Haven't you heard of the Battle of Durpapsukai? Durpapsukai? Yeah, it was oh. a glorious battle. And if you ask Shamshadad the fifth what happened, it was an amazing victory for the Assyrians. Oh. Uh, but all battles are. Of course they are. 
Every battle that gets written down is amazing for Assyria. I've learned yes. that lesson. Yeah, if it's really bad, you'd never hear of mm-hmm. it. <laughs> but the guess from historians is that this was a draw. Because Marduk Balasipki remains the king of Babylonia and the Assyrians go back to Assyria. But it was the greatest draw ever. Yeah, for Assyria. <laughs> In 813 BC, this is also an evidence that it was a draw because next year, Shamshadad <laughs> is back. He invades Babylonia again. Let's try it a second time. Yeah, you know when you have a group of friends and you have done something successfully and you want to repeat it. Well, you, ha- you had this great night out. Sure. You want to do exactly the same thing. What happens? Yeah, we go to the same bar. We get the same drinks. We talk to those same girls. Yeah, <laughs> it was a glorious night, Dan. <laughs> yeah, and when we try to do it again, somebody has something else in his calendar. And, yeah, the bar isn't as great. The girls right. aren't there. Exactly. So we- so when the Allies try to assemble to fight Assyria again, they can't get it together in time. So Shamshadad managed to besiege the city of Deir, trapping uh, the Babylonian king inside. So Marduk Balasi Ipki is besieged in the city of Deir in Babylon. And uh, the Allies doesn't they don't get there in time. So the Assyrians invade the city. They're good at siegecraft. They take there and capture the king. And he suffers that most. The Assyrians have many horrible fates for their enemies, but this one yeah. is kind of my favorite. The, the king is deported to Assyria. Huh, okay. And when the Assyrians says that, you never hear of them again. <laughs> Everybody who is deported. 
No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Ported to Assyria it just disappears. <laughs> it's just gone. <laughs> yeah, so I imagine there's like a tower where they live and they have it they have a really nice time. I don't know. <laughs> it's just you would wonder. Like, would they just kill them? Or would they go to the trouble to deport them just to kill them? I, I think they, they usually kill the people they want to kill immediately. Right. But this is a very common fate, to be deported to Assyria and never be heard of again. I wonder if they just have them in some kind of grand hotel. I have no idea. Maybe they have, like, a council of advisors of captured kings. Wouldn't that be interesting? You yeah, actually keep them alive and have them as your council. It, it, there are. The Persians did that. So uh, well, the Persians depressing. did take most of their things from the Assyrians. Wow. Maybe that's what it is. There's some hidden oasis that they just keep them there. <laughs> if you never leave, you can live. Okay. And after this actual victory in 813 BC. Shamshadad V returns to Assyria. Okay. It's the age-old question then, what do you do with Babylon and Babylonia when you're the Assyrian king? And he's done, he has had his uh, revenge. And this, uh, his brother-in-law is now his, <laughs> his prisoner. <laughs> but the Babylonians then have to face an interesting question then, who wants to be the king in Babylon? <laughs> Right. And the guy who steps up is Babu Aha Idina. This name means Bao, uh, Bao has given me a brother. This is traditionally the name of a second son. So hmm. it might be his brother, but I don't think it is. And next year, then, in 812 BC, this news uh, reaches Assyria. So Shamshadad is. Like, wow, is there a new king in Babylon? I have to invade again. <laughs> he invades. He captures Baba Aha Idina. And right. he is deported to Assyria. Wow. Here also, Shamshadad is extra angry. So he despoils the city of Deir, Lakiru, and Gananati by taking their gods. These were physical statues in the temples. Right. To Assyria. The gods are deported to Assyria. Wow. But they are heard of again. If you're god and get deported to Assyria, there is a chance that you will miss. <laughs> right. You could survive. And then Shamshadad does a little tour of Babylonia. He makes sacrifices at Kutha, at Babylon itself, and in Borsippa, the city of truth and justice. And now Babylonia is utterly defeated by Shamshadad. And you, you'd think that now he's really had his revenge. Right. The Chaldeans retreat to their to the sea land in the south, to their own kingdoms, the Kassites as well. The Arameans disappears into the fields. And Elam retreats into Elam. So you, you think this situation was over. Two Babylonian kings have now been deported to Assyria. But in the year 811 BC, Shamshadad invades Babylonia again. Why on earth? <laughs> and here something must be really wrong. 
Okay. Why is he doing this? Yeah. He has all these other problems. Urartu is still around and still growing more powerful. Uh, the Maneans are to the east. All of Syria. You have, he has to deal with all the stuff, but he doesn't. He invades a leaderless Babylonia. And no one even tries to be the king of Babylonian 811 BC. There is no one, no one will take the job. <laughs> yeah, who would? Because they know they will be deported to Assyria. <laughs> and without a real fight then, Shamshadad claims to be the king of Sumer and Akkad. And that is the traditional title for someone who is king of all of Mesopotamia. Okay. But he doesn't really do anything to make the, he doesn't take care of Babylonia like the king of Babylon should, like Tiglath-Pileser did. Tiglath-Pileser was the king of Babylon and did all the duties that the king of Babylon right. had to do. But uh, Shamshadad the fifth, he just goes back after the Chaldeans has paid him heavy tribute to not get uh, him into the marches of the south. And after this, Babylon declines into state of anarchy that is really bad for Babylonia. And this could very well be the end of, of Babylonia's unit. Right. But it somehow survives. But this is super bad times for Babylon. And at the end of the year, or later in the year, Shamshadad V dies. And I don't think he's very old at this point. So he spent his entire kingship almost being just vengeful against Babylonia for this deal he was forced into sure. at the end of the civil war. And this not only almost destroys Babylonia, but it leads to enormous problems for Assyria that he didn't deal with the problems that he should have dealt with. So Assyria is now going into decline as well. And now we need a strong king. We need a Shalmaneser or Ashurnasirpal to sure. save Assyria. The empire is almost 100 years old at this point. Man, but that fact was probably not important to the Assyrians at all because they didn't count in decimals or in this 10 system that we have. What were they? Were they base 12? I think they're base 60, but here I am on very... <laughs> very loose ground so but I think they are I think that like the Babylonians that this is the reason why there are 60 minutes to an hour I gotcha Bill. so his king his son becomes the king of Assyria in 811 BC as Adad Nirari III and this is quite a complex person because we have now entered a long long period of decline for the Assyrian Empire and this guy has a lot of positive qualities. So he might, he might have been very important to save the empire or not. I mean, he might, it's very, very hard to judge his kingship. But he will put in work to stop outside dangers. He just will not be very successful. Or he will be somewhat successful. He's, as I said, hard to judge, but he's not successful on the domestic arena. The inside dangers of the empire is what will be become mm. much worse during Adad Nirari III's rule. But he is the king of Assyria for 28 years. And 
the kingdom was never ruled by his mother than Semiramis. Contrary to popular fantastical belief. Yes, he's the sixth king of the Neo-Syrian Empire. And uh, he has... There is a movement for the cult of the god Naboo. Hmm. And the god Naboo is becoming really important all over Assyria. And this, I still can't get my head around exactly how the Assyrian religion works. Because they should all worship Asher and right. other gods as aspects of Asher. But they are going very Babylonian in their religious practices. What is, what is Naboo? What, what's Naboo's big deal? I think he is the scribe of the gods. Hmm. Uh, we, we, we'll talk much more about him later when his influence has become even greater. Okay. So let's look at the situation in the West. In Kar uh, Shalmaneser, the old city Tilbarsit that Shalmaneser III took, he built this city named after himself, which was in reality an enormous fortress. And that is the base for Assyrian control of the West. But the Euphrates is the border of effective Assyrian control. And most of the Western kingdoms has not paid their tribute. And they haven't seen a royal Assyrian army in 16 years at this point. And the two most powerful states of the West, they are Israel and Damascus. Mm -hmm. and what does Israel and Damascus do if there is no if there are no Assyrians? Fight each other? Yes. <laughs> so in 810 BC, Aram Damascus and Israel fights again. And it's uh, Hazael versus Jehu. We've talked about both of them before. Right. Hazael is ruling Aram Damascus until 796 BC. And at some point during this decade, Jehu dies and his son Jehoahaz becomes the king of Israel. So uh, Jehoahaz uh, has been archaeologically confirmed. There are a stamp, a st there's a stamp seal that's been found that um, says belonging to Jehoahaz, son of the king. He is initially a Yahweh worshipper, okay. but he is allowing this religious history of the use is so complicated because it's all written down in Babylon in the 6th century BC and then they tried to make it more monotheistic during this period. But what they are saying then is that Jehoahaz was uh, a good Yahweh worshipper but he allowed some other stuff to go on. Okay. For example, cult poles of Asherah. So Asherah is the mother goddess of the Semitic pantheon. She shows up in Ugarit and in Egypt. And she, is, um, she has these poles that you put up to worship her. And you can find them all around Israel from this period. So archaeology shows us that polytheism was much more common in Israel than the Bible says at this time. Hmm. What did the... Uh... What did the poles represent? I mean, was it some kind of just that's basically her flag or symbol? I'm not sure. I get the idea that it's something dirty, but <laughs> I'm, not, <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure about that. There's plenty of guys that worship 
<laughs> worship establishments with poles in them. But it's not that kind of show. <laughs> and it appears that uh, some people try to consolidate this into that Asherah was the wife of Yahweh. But that's a heretic to the use, right? Oh, yeah. But you can find the household shrines to Asherah up until the 6th century BC in Israel. Okay, we have a new king in Assyria. Yay, a new king. What does a new king have to do in Assyria? You gotta go beat people up. Yes. And with all I've said in this episode, Adad Nirari III <laughs> yes. chooses to attack Babylonia. <laughs> oh my gosh. Why would you do this? I have no idea. Maybe he promised his father, like his father's deathbed request was, <laughs> I'm not done yet. We have to invade Babylonia. But father, there's nothing left of Babylonia. But invade Babylonia. Yeah. Obey like, your father. Yeah. Son, go beat them up one last time. <laughs> Dad, <But he> <laughs> makes... no. <laughs> <laughs> Can I not, Dad? Go right. beat them up. Ugh. But there is an important difference from his father's invasion. Adadnirari III has some sort of plan how to handle Babylonia. So he invades. Uh, of course, there is no king in Babylon. He wins easily. Right. He captures Babylonian troops and uh, puts them, put them in the Assyrian army. He captures more gods. He makes the proper sacrifices to the gods that are still in Babylonia. And then he returns deported civilians because Shamshadad V had deported some Babylonians to other parts of the Assyrian Empire. Okay. They are sent back to Babylon. They receive food from the Assyrians. Hmm. And it seems that Adad-Nirari hangs around in Babylon for a time, actually doing the duties of the Babylonian king. So he's actually trying to re-establish it? Yes, and this, maybe he is under, indeed, heavy influence of his mother, Semiramis, who was a Babylonian princess, perhaps. Right. And, but, and if he, she was, he is then the grandson of the last good Babylonian king, Marduk Sakishumi. But we have another problem now. The Assyrian records are getting much worse from the glorious days of Shalmaneser. So now we get uh, big holes in our information. Hmm. But this seems to be the situation. He sticks around in Babylon for a while, does the duties of the king, and but he, he doesn't save Babylon from the, the decline it's suffering, but he, he tries to at least. Right. And then in 810 BC, Ishpuini of Urartu dies. And his son, Minua, was already co the co-regent. We talked about these guys before. Mm -hmm. So Minua is now the only king of Urartu, right to the north of the Assyrian Empire. Almost an empire in itself. So well, That's interesting. Oh, so <laughs> we keep talking over each other. Sorry. <laughs> so, so what's going on next? Yeah, maybe we need to talk about Europe. Europe? We haven't been over in Europe in quite some time. 
No, and that's because nothing is going on, but now stuff will start to happen in Europe. Uh, in Italy, there are the Villanovans who will become the Etruscans. Mm. We have the two important cities on the Isle of Eubea. Chalcis and Lefkandi, or Old Eritrea, are the two most powerful uh, city-states in Greece. There are some other important early city-states, or big villages, more likely, in, mm -hmm. in Greece. Sparta, Knossos, Athens, Miletus, and Argos. And in 810 BC, something happens in Laconia, the area where Sparta is located. It has come down to us as the Eunomia, which I think is a great name. It's the end of disorder. That's what it, it sounds... means? Yes. Huh. Okay. I think that's, it, it, that, that's what it represents, at least. So the chaos of the Dorian invasion that has lasted for 400 years comes to an end in Laconia. And here somewhere, a guy called Lycurgus steps up and founds the city of Sparta as, it, as we know it. And he puts down the rules. He's the lawgiver of Sparta. <laughs> and of course, this is a very legendary character and we don't know if he was a real person or not. Oh, um, okay. This is what we'll talk about in the next episode, because with the Eunomia, we can introduce the super conservative city-state of Sparta that in... It basically remains the same state for 500 years from this point on. So wow. We'll do three videos on Sparta. The legends of Sparta. Mm -hmm. Covering this origin of Sparta and this, these laws of Lycurgus. And then we'll talk about life in Sparta, about what it's like to be a man in this fantastic warlike state. And then we'll do an episode about women in Sparta, where we will also discuss Spartan sexuality, which is a subject where people have many. Many ideas that are entirely wrong. This will also be a great introduction of Sparta because they will enter our main narrative in the first Mycenaean War, which will happen in the 8th century BC. And I will make the case that the Spartans are individually the best fighters in the whole world at this point. Almost from the start. Really? Yeah, but they, they are not that many, so they, they couldn't beat Assyria. And the Assyrians are not the Persians. They are, they are not this disorganized rabble of an enormous army. The Spartans fight okay. in uh, classic times. Right. And a bit later in our show, we will see what happens when Assyrians fight Greeks, but those Greeks are not Spartans. <laughs> and that's it for this episode. All right. Well, let's see. So what, are we, what is going on in our next episode? What are we going to do there? Legends of Sparta. Legends of Sparta. That's right. 
Okay, folks. Please go to our YouTube. It is YouTube slash Fan of History. Also, subscribe, like, and share. Give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher if you can find us out there. We would love to hear from you. We'll read it on the air, just like we did these. And we want to also direct you to Twitter, at TheFanOfHistory. Um, TheFanOfHistory.wordpress.com is a good website. Also, don't forget about the Patreon. Um, Patreon.com slash FanOfHistory. So, for this week, I am Brennan. And I'm Dom. And this has been The Fan of History. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash fanofhistory. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> <laughs>